Up on the building, it's Spider Woman. In the early years of Marvel Comics, various creators introduced us to legends including Spider-Man, Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, Daredevil, Ant-Man, and even the Hulk, good guy or bad guy that he is. It's not hard to spot the overriding similarities that all these characters shared. A lot of them are green and red and all that stuff, but they're all men. That, that's, a good, that's a good point, Dan. Well, only in the pages of Marvel's team books were female superheroes induced in any meaningful manner. Sue Storm of the Fantastic Four and Marvel Girl of the X-Men were early attempts at representation. But any discerning reader could easily spotlight why female fans might have been turned off by how women represented. It wasn't until Carol Danvers as Miss Marvel and Jessica Drew as Spider-Woman burst on the scene in January and February of 1977 that the lineup of Marvel's heroes would start to change forever. Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962 Last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which it's my thing to say they count because I believe it. They count. I mean, you got to believe what you got to believe, Dan. And and as a Met fan, I say you got to believe. But I am also mischievous Mark Giannacchio. I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But Dan, when it comes to my beliefs, my truth, the center of who I am... I believe that the annuals don't count. Let's talk about Monica Rambeau, this character <laughs> that became like Captain Universe, introduced in an annual. I mean, like that's that's like a big character. We're talking about representation today. What do you, what do you say about that? Does it count? I, I mean, you know, it, it it might count, but like you know, I'm still getting over the fact that like I have to pay for uh, a reprint of the Sinister Six and the first Vulture for annuals too. So I don't know. You tell me. All right, that's a that's a fair counter. I well, mean, I'm, buy, I'm buying two issues with men, Dan, for your one <laughs> issue of women. Now, tell me about the representation of that. <laughs> all right, well, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, anyway, thank you all for joining us for the sixth episode of season four of the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider-Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics, as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. That's absolutely true, Mark. And because in this season of The Amazing Spider Talk, we'll be revisiting Spider-Man's adventures in the early 80s, where denim jackets were hip, the villains were forgettable, and Spider-Man found some amazing new friends. One of those amazing new friends spent most of her time actually avoiding interactions with Spider-Man until like 20 issues into her run, but has kind of become intrinsically linked to the character over time, despite that relative infrequency with which they interact. But... You know what they say, uh, everything is in a name. There's no use avoiding a conversation about Jessica Drew, also known as the first and best Spider-Woman. Uh, okay, sorry. There's some good ones. Mayday Parker's great too. And so is Spider-Gwen. But I mean, Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, she's the OG. She's got to be the best. She's the OG. And if we're talking 616, no doubt. But in terms of maybe some other versions, I mean, there have been many Spider-Women over the years, ranging from Maddie Franklin eh, to Midday Parker. And for every Spider-Woman is a new costume. 
And if you haven't already, check out this uh, our awesome artwork commissioned from Nick Cagnetti, who's illustrated an incredible scene, including all of the various Spider-Women and their costumes from over the years. Yeah, that's right, Mark. And if you're watching live, you know what Mark's talking about because you're looking at it right now because we're also video streaming our show live every other Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in on YouTube as we record Amazing Spider Talk Live. Just go to Amazing Spider Talk on YouTube, hit subscribe, and be sure to turn on notifications by clicking on the bell to be reminded when we go live. But we couldn't talk about this one alone, Dan. Talking about Spider-Woman means bringing a Spider-Woman expert. So later in the show, we'll be joined by Carla Pacheco, the current writer on the brand new Spider-Woman series, to talk about modern Spider-Woman and her new run of comics. But first, Dan, you and I, we're going to talk about the complicated, to say the least, origins of the character and the behind-the-scenes actions that uh, compelled her into existence. Yeah, and there's no better place to start than the very beginning. This is a surprising one. You know, she first debuted here in Marvel Spotlight, issue number 32, with the Spider-Woman on the cover. You know, and here she is zapping Nick Fury in this kind of villainous appearance of her. And this big issue is sold as the origin of Spider-Woman by Archie Goodwin and Marie Severin from February 1977. What'd you think about this issue and this debut? I mean, it's certainly a weird one. Yeah, I mean, it's virtually unrecognizable if you've been reading Jessica Drew comics, Spider-Woman comics, especially over the last 20 or so years, especially like the, the Brian Michael Bendis stuff which we're going to talk to uh, Carla about in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, like looking at this issue, you know, it's not the most inspired comic book creation. Kind of knowing the origins of why this character was created might explain why it's not very inspired, don't you think? Absolutely. So Mark, you know, tell us why. Why was this character created? For lack of a better phrase, a bit of a of a cash grab. Actually, I mean, kind of going back a bit when I was doing some research for the uh, 100 Things Spider-Man book back in the day. Remember that that book, Dan? Uh, all those years ago, there was actually in one of um, the the essays from Steve Ditko, he was talking about how early on in Spider-Man's run, Stanley was kind of pushing for this idea of having a Spider-Woman character or Spider-Girl. I think more or less to kind of play off of like over in the distinguished competition, there was Supergirl, there was Batgirl. I mean, this was this was kind of a thing. You had a female counterpart for your your male characters. But fast forward, you know, Dicko never basically went with that and Ramita never went with that either, which is always kind of a telling sign because Ramita kind of gave in on some of the things that Stan was pushing on on Steve Dicko that Dicko never gave in on. But, you know, fast forwarding into the 70s, basically there were there was rumors afoot that Stan caught wind of that someone wanted to create like a Spider-Woman character and, and Marvel basically didn't have the copyright for it. So it kind of became this race against the clock to get something out there to, to own a copyright. And, and you know, here, here are Stan's own words with it. He said, I suddenly realized that some other company may quickly put out a book like that. I think it was more of an animated series, by the way, and claim that they had the right to use the name. And I thought we better do it real fast to copyright the name. So we just batted one quickly. And that's exactly what happened. I wanted to protect the name because it's the type of thing where someone else might say, hey, why don't we put out a Spider-Woman? They can't stop us. You know, years ago, we brought out Wonder Man and DC Comics sued us because they had Wonder Woman. And I said, okay, I'll discontinue Wonder Man. And then all of a sudden, there's Power Girl after Marvel had introduced Power Man. And oh boy, how unfair. So, I mean, this is this is clearly a case <laughs> of Stan wanting to get ahead of a copyright issue. So it was like, create me Spider-Woman. And Marvel Spotlight number 32 came from that. And I think that reflects that, frankly, because it's it, the, the whole thing is crazy. It's like, She's, I mean, first of all, the character seems quite villainous, right? You get the sense that mentally, or not mentally, but like, you know, in terms of she's under some kind of mind control with Hydra, but like, it, it is it is a convoluted and confusing story. And I've read it a bunch of times over the years, Dan, and I still don't fully get it. And also you bring in the high evolutionary, which to me is like, 
no. Like once the high evolutionaries evolve, <laughs> it's like you have lost everything. Like, why are we having this conversation? You and I have made our feelings about the high evolutionary, I think, very clear over the years on the show. And this isn't even a Spider-Man comic, ostensibly. But yeah, it is weird. And like, we've been talking about representation lightly on the show in our intro. But like, this is not really how you do that. I mean, like the character is kind of like gaslit into existence. You know, she she thinks she's a member of Hydra and can't really remember her past. And I mean, that past turns out to be that, you know, in this issue, it's real that her real name is Arachne and that she was formerly a spider that was evolved by the high evolutionary into a woman. So, I mean, if, if you were a fan of Jessica Drew and that sounds really out of left field, you're right. That is not her origin. So like that would later be changed. But that's what we got here. And this is not um, the same Arachne from Julie Taymor's Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, right? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Although that's that's a callback. Um, you know, but but the, the costume is here, you know, um, ostensibly. Now, like her hair is kind of pulled into this cap and we, she doesn't have the kind of black hair. And in fact, she's actually like kind of like a dirty blonde character. She Jessica Drew has been dyeing her roots all these years to have black hair. But in this issue, like that's not really a part of the costume, but you know, the costume was essentially kind of like a, I mean, I would say a, a, a home run, like it's a cool costume. And it was like one of the first major Marvel characters designed by a woman. Right. So you have Marie Severin designing the costume. And I think that's really kind of neat. So, yeah, I mean, that that's cool takeaway from this book. Yeah. I mean, it's great that Marie Severin obviously is a very influential creator in the landscape of comics and it's great that that she gets to have this credited to her name but like you said i mean in terms of who this character is from a, i guess a narrative standpoint it, it, you know it, it feels very flimsy in terms of like you said representation which is funny because like you know you say stan is kind of doing this in a kind of like cynical like uh legalistic way right there was not a, a creative drive pushing this book into existence yet at the same time there was a there was a hunger for it because this one-off sold really well and you know suddenly you know they they realized there's a desire for this character whatever it is as confusing as the character is so they had to continue the character yeah so then you know creative responsibilities fell to uh marv wolfman who we obviously addressed in our our season premiere here and he rewrote her origin as part of a four-story arc in the uh, Marvel 2-in-1 series. So yet again, Marvel 2-in-1 getting some representation on this podcast. <laughs> that These issues do not feature Thanos and Spider-Man, unfortunately. But Wolfman gave her the name Jessica Drew based off his own daughter and then also the detective Nancy Drew, which is kind of a cute callback, obviously, in terms of Jessica's detective roots. And it turns out that Hydra, good old Hydra, implanted the memories of the spider into her And that, in turn, led to an eponymous Spider-Man series that Wolfman wrote the first few issues of, correct? Yeah, and I really like these two-in-one issues. They're kind of fun, and, you know, they get to kind of re-address, you know, who Spider-Woman is. She's still kind of a villain, but you start to see her turn towards the good. In many ways, this is kind of the origin for the character, because it, it immediately sets about retconning what happened in the Marvel spotlight. But you're right. That would eventually turn into the Spider-Woman series. So we got Spider-Woman number one and Marv Wolfman would stay on and they would bring in artist Carmine Infantino. I always have a hard time saying that. And, you know, I think his artwork is really cool on this book. And, you know, they take her hair out of her costume and you got, now you've got the kind of iconic design of uh, Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman. Yeah, I mean, and getting Infantino for this is kind of a bit of a coup. I mean, like Infantino had been working for years for uh, DC, most notably on The Flash, where he kind of, you know, basically reinvented The Flash for the Silver Age. So, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, the the, the art here is like super solid. I, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, it's kind of, I feel like the visuals, and especially when 
Jessica is out of costume. It's very Ramita-esque. Like these are very kind of like romance comics figures, which are really nice to look at visually in terms of, you know, characters out of costume. And of course, like they would also set up some of Jessica's nemeses, if you will, in terms of Morgan Le Fay and Brothers Grimm. Although like interesting little side note, and I think we talked about this in our villains episode, Felicia Hardy, the black cat was originally slated to be a villainess for Spider-Woman in this series. And then they ended up turfing that idea and they really redid the design for the character and moved her into Spider-Man as well. But as as solid as that art was, Wolfman himself was kind of he you could tell he was never really into writing the character. What did what did what did Marv say about writing Jessica, Dan? Yeah, he said, if truth be told, I never felt comfortable writing her. I never found a handle for her and kept trying until I finally decided to leave the book. And he would leave the book pretty quickly, you know, issue eight. But I mean, at the same time, you have to remember that Marv Wolfman was, he was handling a bunch of books for Marvel at the time. So, you know, I I don't think this is his best work. And I, I think the character is really strange. I mean, she's existing in this kind of supernatural world. And something that I, I always forget about the character in her introductions is like how much she feels kind of socially isolated and like everybody thinks she's really weird. And I had forgotten that that was such a big part of the character is this because now we think about Spider-Woman and she's like this like bombshell, you know, at least during like the Bendis Avenger stuff. She was like the sexy Avenger, you know, and here all the people are like, who is that weirdo? She's so strange. Yeah, I guess they were like spiders. Maybe we'll actually lean into this one, just like, you know, Spider-Man, where people think he's a weirdo. It's funny because one of Peter Parker's uh, core characteristics, obviously, is his kind of social awkwardness, which we would get here with Jessica as well. But it's there's a different spin on it here. I mean, like, you know, Peter is, I don't know, like, while Peter doesn't get along with his classmates and fights with Flash Thompson and all that, like there's still this element of Peter being this functional member of social society. He's just, you know, really bad at it. Whereas Jessica, like, you know, it, it goes deeper than that. Like, you know, there's some question here that she's a functional member of society, don't you think? And I think a part of that is to do with her kind of like origin and the kind of her the kind of fog she lives in about her like early life and how how kind of mistreated she was. So, you know, that's really interesting. So, yeah. So, you know, Mark Gruenwald, who took over with issue nine, must have felt very similarly because, you know, he would focus his series around this social awkwardness and isolation. And he used it to introduce like a new power to Jessica. So, like, she could cling to walls and she has her venom blast, very much like Miles's venom blast. But he kind of added this fear-inducing pheromones where people were kind of freaked out by her because she gave off this scent or whatever that messed with their brains. And that would later be also kind of like turned into like kind of like a seduction pheromone where she could like get people to like fall in love with her, which I've always felt really icky about. Yeah, I must say once you start bringing pheromones into the mix, especially with a female character, it's it's setting you up for some, I mean, ickiness is a really good, if not a bit inelegant phrase for it, because it's like not not to play the card, but why is it that the f- the female characters have have pheromones as a power? Like, I mean, pheromones are generally associated with, like you say, like kind of a sexual attraction. Uh, you know, you don't you don't hear about Thor's pheromones or or the Hulk's pheromones ever. It is very creepy, and it's weird even now when they come back. Like, it's a part of the character, but I, I you know, I always kind of like flinch at it just because of its its origin seems so like such a wrong note for the character. But I mean, obviously she must've had some traction or at least they Marvel was trying to seize up some other copyright stuff because during Grunewald's run, they made a TV show out of her, which you can watch on Disney plus. Now I don't necessarily recommend it, but it's an interesting artifact into kind of Marvel's history. I think even there, they weren't quite sure what to do with this character. Yeah. And then at that point, Roger Stern, uh, who of course would later go on to become one of the great Spider-Man writers. He was the editor of the book and he kind of casted, uh, and then also She-Hulk 
into the same uh, bucket there by saying that, you know, they saw these characters as running a good idea into the ground, uh, much as DC had done in the 60s with the growing spider, uh, excuse me, Superman and Bat families. Like I mentioned, I earlier, earlier mentioned, you know, we had Supergirl, Batgirl, etc. So the popularity eventually declined on these characters, which is, you know, again, I mean, it's disappointing in the context of why can't these these woman characters work but given how they were being presented maybe not inexplicable right i think we kind of see that kind of fear playing out today in some ways which is like half of marvel's line is spider-man books although not at the current moment actually because there's no not even a proper spider-man b title at the moment but you know you look at the batman lineup and it's like 20 different batman comics and you know, I'll, I'll let anybody else be the judge of that. And I like most of them, but I do think that that fear was probably justified in some way. And I think the quality of the book probably helped kind of underline his point. You know, I, I'm glad today that we have, you know, really good spider woman comics as with anything, it's the quality of the book can stand on its own. But I, I do think there is something to the fear of watering down your characters by, kind of oversaturating the market. Yeah, making the family of the characters bigger than it needs to be for sure, right? I mean, there was a point only a few years ago, Dan, where we had, what, Miguel and and Miles and Gwen and Jessica and... I don't want to go all comics gate because that's not me. No, no, no. I mean, it's not it's not about male female, but like you say, it's it's about you know how many how many iterations of the character can you have running around at one time, and you know, like you got to make sure with these characters that each one is is serving a specific need or a, or a niche, if you will. You know, like I, I will say, kind of setting up our our interview in a bit, like because of the fact that. It, the herd has kind of been thinned out a bit with all these books. Like having Jessica back feels refreshing now because it's like, oh, okay, it's just one Spider Woman book for the most part. I, I think I think it's really exciting. And so anyway, you know, I just thought it was interesting that Roger Stern was saying that because it, it, reflecting that comment on the modern like Marvel lineup, you know, it it, it certainly seems prophetic in 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 some way. So anyway, uh, you know, after a while, you know, eventually the creative team changed again, and Michael Fleischer took over at issue twenty, and made Jessica into a bounty hunter. And they finally kind of leaned into the spider ness of it all, and finally had Spider Woman and Spider Man meet face to face, which was a, a sales boost for the book. And, you know, I think finally linked these characters together in some way. I mean, it was, you know, it's a classic team up kind of story where they misunderstand each other and go head to head. But it seems like inevitable. I actually think it shows great restraint that they waited until issue 20 to do this. You know, especially, again, given the context of how the character was created, that they'd be trying to cross over you know, every other issue. I mean, certainly go back to early Marvel and they, they were not afraid to do crossovers to try and boost sales. So, but yeah, I, I, they, they definitely showed some restraint here, but also kind of reflective of what was happening with the character was then, you know, within a few issues, we had another creative shift. You had the Chris Claremont, obviously from Marvel team up fame. I don't know if he did anything else. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, <laughs> Kidding. I know. Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Steve and I, Dan, how, how do we say this last name here? Le- Leah Hoa? I'm going to say Leah Loa. Okay. I mean, Steve L. Uh, they took over at issue 32 and uh, made her a private investigator, which obviously would set things up. So, you know, now we're on our our third creative tandem or, or fourth creative tandem on this character, not counting the original Archie Goodwin origin. So like, you, like I was saying, like we, we we're, we're setting the tone here in terms of kind of a, a, a carousel of sorts of creators. It's funny though, because I feel like this kind of uh, carousel of creators and job positions, whether it be a private investigator, a bounty hunter, an Avenger agent of Hydra. I still feel like she's doing this dance and each person who comes on is keen to change her role, you know, uh, down the line. So it's, it's almost become a part of the character that every new person comes on changes how she operates. So yeah, they would, you know, take over the book for like 10 to 12 issues 
And then the final four issues of her run, which went to 50, were done by Ann Nocenti and Brian Postman, who, you know, the best thing to do for your character is to just kill her off. So they they resolved a bunch of dangling plot lines and then killed the character off in the 50th issue. Nocenti said, these are licensed characters and you want them to have a forever life. At the same time, they live in a violent world and occasionally you feel like someone has to die. Otherwise, it's too unreal. And so they killed Spider-Woman. She would never return. N- no, that's not Never true. again. I was going to say, I mean, like, you know, I, I, I appreciate what, it, what Anne is saying there. But yeah, I mean... Yes, sometimes someone has to die, but also generally in comics, unless you're Uncle Ben or Bruce Wayne's uh, parents, you will come back. And that and that's what we got uh, in Avengers 240 to 241. Although, again, she was back, but she wasn't back back, don't you say? She was kind of absent from comics for a very long time. And I mean, like, you know, in a full role. Like she was brought back to be brought back and would appear here and there, but it wasn't really until the Bendis stuff that she really became a major character in the Marvel universe again. But obviously some people had some fondness for her. You know, if, if you're watching live, you're looking at issue 50 right now, which is this great cosplay cover. And I believe, and I may be wrong about this. I believe that it's actually Anne Nocente herself in the costume on the cover of the issue. So if that's true, that's kind of fun to to see that. And it's advertised as the startling conclusion to the saga of spider woman. So, you know, before we bring Carla on the show to talk about kind of modern spider woman, like I'm wanting to ask you, like, can you think of another character whose origin is so like, kind of like jumble jumbled up? I mean, I, I feel like even by the end of issue 50, they still didn't really have a good grasp on like who spider woman was as a character. No. And, and I mean, certainly not a character who would then go on to be what I would consider a a major part of, you know, one of the big two publishing companies. I mean, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, and we'll get into this when we talk to Carla, I mean, you know, Brian Michael Bendis had, you know, a bit of a love affair with the character. He really wanted to work with her when when he was kind of setting himself up as the A guy for Marvel. And then he eventually got that wish uh, in terms of doing, you know, his own reintroduction of her and then bringing her on to um, New Avengers. But, but prior to that, um, you know, I, again, Going back to the very, very beginning of our of our episode here, Dan, it, it, the the character reflects not to be kind of cynical about it, but 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 a character that was created for the wrong reasons. I mean, like I don't feel like that you know they were really trying to create. They didn't put the effort into creating Jessica that they certainly did Peter Parker or the Fantastic Four or you know resurrecting Steve Rogers or anything like that. I mean, this was this was clearly like. You know, they they were trying to check a box. They did it. But, you know, they had what they wanted in terms of the copyright. And even if you want to put aside the copyright, like, okay, well, now we have a a female spider character. But, you know, it's kind of like that old Ian Malcolm nugget of, well, you know, you you, you thought about if you could, you never thought if you should. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I think that's what really was kind of what drove Spider-Woman for the first 10, 15 years of her existence here in comics was like, you know, they, they, they did it, but then, but should they have done it or should they have done it the way they did it? That's I think up to debate. I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to dismiss what other creators did with the character. I mean, you know, obviously, and you had good creators working with her, but there's not a lot of there there. And I think there's a reason why those stories are, are very infrequently referenced. I mean, you know, as Carla's going to say herself in, in a few minutes, I mean, you know, when when people work with Jessica Drew now, I mean, they're working from Bendis on. I think that's kind of what what has happened with the character, which to me in itself is kind of amazing because I don't think we've ever had that kind of, you know, BCAD shift with a character before where like, you know, you kind of had this whole convoluted, jumbled up history of Jessica prior to um, her resurrection. But, 
you know, now kind of the postscript has taken on a life of its own and is really kind of the accept the canon for it. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm glad they seized that copyright, though, because now we have this great character of Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, to play with. And, you know, I've loved, you know, ever since her reintroduction, where I was kind of introduced to her for the first time. So, Mark, we've got to go to commercial, but listeners at home, stick around, because when we come back, we'll be joined by Carla Pacheco, the writer on this year's Spider-Woman series. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. I'm there all the time. Just this past week, we've been discussing the works of Kevin Smith in comics and just what our limitations are to bending characters to fit a story, as Kevin was uh, want to do uh, in his various works. Yeah, so uh, if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And once you're there, be sure to let us know what you think of this new episode. All right, well, welcome back to the show and welcome to the show, Carla Pacheco. So happy to have you with us to talk about the modern revival of Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, thank you guys. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we're really happy to have you. You're writing this new volume of Spider-Woman, which is already off to a great start. You guys like broke all kinds of sales records, it seemed. So that must have been really good. I was not expecting that. It was very, very exciting. Obviously, I am incredibly proud of the book that we put out, like what Perry is doing with the art, Frankie on the colors, and just the work, the, the great teamwork that it's been of just working with like Lindsay Kohick and Jake Thomas uh, for editorial. It's just been such a great special book that we've been so excited about making. But I definitely was not expecting number one in March, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> well, 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 Carla, like looking at the at the letter that you had posted in the back of the first issue, you kind of have, I don't know, I would, maybe this is a little hyperbolic, but it seems like a cosmic connection to, to Jessica here. And I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I have always loved Jessica Drew. And I honestly, I, it wasn't until like probably a year ago that I did realize that Jessica Drew and I, Spider-Woman and I were born the same day. Me, quite literally, her with that very first appearance in uh, Marvel Spotlight number 32, which you guys were just talking about. And exact day and year that we both came out, <laughs> I just I always really related to the character. I, I definitely felt a connection to that character. My first real exposure to her was during Bendis's Avengers run. And I just thought, she was kind of like kind of a badass. And then the more that I was reading Jessica Drew, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's like I just I relate to that. I, I get that. And so getting the chance to bring her back and especially in such a big over the top way, I, I just I, I feel so incredibly lucky. And the support from both Marvel and the fans for this book has just been so overwhelming and so humbling. And like, I, I, and then of course, you know, we, we end on these cliffhangers for that first issue and none of us knew that we wouldn't be getting issue two until four months later because <laughs> of the world being on fire. So that right. happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you know, speaking about like time gaps that like you're away from the character. I mean, this is an interesting character because she was, you know, introduced in the late seventies mm -hmm. and ran for a little while, but then it was like kind of almost like 20 years for this character to kind of resurface in a major way in the Marvel universe with that Spider Woman origins book by yeah. Bendis and Brian Reed with the Luna Brothers illustrating. Can you can you speak you know about like your experience with that book? Yeah. So when when I was offered the chance to like when they asked if I'd be interested in pitching for 
a new Spider Woman series. Uh, and I came up with some ideas that I thought I'd like to see the character go and what I thought I could offer. And early from the beginning, like it was kind of like, okay, you can really, it was almost like I was offered my choice of origins to pick from, like quite literally and figuratively. They were like, you know, she's had a lot of origins. She's had a lot of reinventions over the years. And I remember Jake Thomas even saying, like, yeah, he goes, you know, she's she's had a lot of origins. There's a lot of canon to dig into, but a lot of it hasn't ever really stuck. <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, as I pick a hair off my face, I'm very attractive and professional here. OK, <laughs> so it's like, you know, a lot of her canon hasn't really stuck over the years because she's been an easy character to reinvent. And. I really, really loved what Bendis did in Origins with her because he used the original, like, used the original Origins, but just kind of expanded it and brought a lot of, brought a lot of elements from her history while also making it something very new and fresh and staying true to the character, but also just, just giving it a really rich and I think a little more complex background. And that's just what I loved about Origins. And I kind of feel like without it being too hubris-free, hubris-free is a word for sure. I'm a writer. I'm a professional. I'm a <laughs> professional. I'm a, I'm a professional writer. And so we've kind of been doing the same thing with with our spider woman where we took a lot of these elements and then just kind of used them as a springboard. And so I think what was really cool about origins is even as he's reinventing stuff, it's not tossing out any of the canon. It's not tossing out what went before it's expanding on it and bringing in new elements. And I think he just does that in just such a fantastic way. And I think it's really exciting. And then, I mean, from origins, I mean, like, Jessica seemed to get elevated further through her role on Bendis's New Avengers and and then even more so with like Secret Invasion, which was obviously like such a huge hit. And her role in that was so central. I mean, it really it really made her a central figure in the Marvel Universe in a way that I think even in her earliest ways, she wasn't. So, I mean, did, what, I mean, what's your connection to that, your experience with that? I mean, were you reading those in real time? And yeah, kinda... I, I mean, I, I was reading those in real time back in the day. And and I, I felt like Origins, like, you know, he kind of used Jessica Drew in Avengers a little bit before that, and then Spider-Woman Origins. And I feel like that gave the character a bigger back like a stronger background that could be involved more wholesale like more importantly into new avengers and stuff like he kind of needed to build up a little a little stronger connection with avengers and with nick fury and with shield and so i feel like origins definitely helped kind of launch that of he didn't burn everything down but he built up a, a stronger foundation so that she could be a, a bigger part of Avengers and a bigger part of that world in a way that she'd always felt a little more isolated before, if that makes sense. That's kind of part of the text, right? She's, she feels like this weirdo and nobody trusts her and, you know, rereading those 1970s issues. It's like a strange part of her character that I've forgotten about is that like Jessica Drew felt really isolated yeah. when she was first introduced. Yeah. And that's, uh, and I, I, I still think that's a very important part of the character and definitely it's something that in what I've been doing with the character is very, that's a very evident part. Like I'm not being subtle about it. <laughs> like that's a very strong part of the character is even as she has, now, you know, friends and a family and a child, she still deep down has never really allowed herself to fit in. And I don't know how much of that is just it's, you know, obviously like her entire childhood was one of betrayal. <laughs> like yeah. even if you go back to the original 70s, 70s and 80s origins and in Bendis's origins, all of that is basically like a childhood and an early life and even then in Secret Invasion, 
there are just a lot of betrayals that happen. Like that's just kind of a running theme through a lot of her life. And so obviously it's going to make it a little hard. You're probably going to have a few trust issues <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's definitely going to affect how, how you interact with people and, you know, how you interact with people who love you, how you interact with your friends and how you approach things. And I don't think that's something that we've really seen. We haven't seen a lot of chances for Jess to really just like be angry about that. And that's kind of, I'm good at being angry about things. So (laughs) I've I've been kind of doing that. (laughs) I've always found it curious that, you know, because she has so many different origins and like the characters kind of been all over the place, like even, even when she was introduced and there was that kind of shuffle of writers who were on and off the book and kept changing up how she worked that like Bendis would then use that kind of big question mark about like what Jessica drew is to make her into a scroll, you know, that she's literally not the person that we think she is. And, you know, this character, this character has kind of been all over the map. Do you think that the character's kind of found itself yet? Or is that kind of part of where you want to take I mean, it? It's, it's part of what I'm using for sure. It's definitely a part of the history that I had to work with as I'm building my story around that. I mean, it's a very, it's a very big part of my story just in general is the fact that, yeah, she doesn't really know who she is. And also just people kind of just keep screwing with her, to be honest. (laughs) And, you know, and so right now she's in a point where she doesn't even trust herself. And so, I mean, like, trust me, there were people who, as soon as they saw the new suit for Spider-Woman number one, were very much like, all right, so she's a scroll then? I was like, no, she's not a scroll. The one thing I can promise you, she's not a scroll. (laughs) 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 But no, it's, there's, there's so much history and it has kind of, ping-ponged around. And I've kind of been trying to use that as, you know, a leaping off point versus a challenge. Like that's, that's at least what I'm going for. You know, it's, that's all I can hope for is that I'm doing it well, but rather than going like, okay, well, she was doing this and that, and that didn't really work. And I'm not sure about that one. I'm trying to just take all of the uncertainty about her past and really utilize that as best I can. So that's, that's what I'm going for at least. Very cool. (laughs) Now, now in terms of even more recent history, I mean, obviously Bendis's mark on the character can't be denied, but you know, the, the most recent run with Jessica was Dennis Hopeless and Javier Rodriguez. And I know in the first issue, you, you know, we, we see Porcupine, which is, you know, obviously a throwback to that. And, but like, you know, there were other elements that they explored, like, you know, well, there was the new costume, obviously, but also the fact that she was not this, you know, not an Avenger kind of uh, a freelancer, uh, so to speak. And, you know, obviously, the motherhood angle. We also had the friendship with Carol Danvers that was explored a bit in that run. So, you know, like I said earlier, we, we, we already had some nods in that first issue to that run. I mean, do you, are you, are you kind of working from that as well? Or are you kind of focusing more on the Bendis stuff or? It's a, I I use the Bendis stuff as basically my starting point. That is that I'm, I'm bringing in a lot of elements from the Bendis stuff and also kind of taking little elements that, I mean, so issue two is obviously out, you know, coming up very soon, July 15th, Wednesday. And in that we do see the introduction of Octavia Vermis, who is a character that I created based off of Otto Vermis from Origins. And so we're kind of like creating stuff from there, but we obviously... I think a lot of people would have been extremely upset first. I mean, so many people with the the hopeless Rodriguez run, like that series meant a lot to a lot of people. And I wasn't going to just throw that away. But I also wanted to take Jess on her own journey that I wanted to do, which was mostly blowing things up. <laughs> and so, so it's a, I, I definitely, I, I didn't want, I, I was, kind of given the option to do a reboot if I wanted. And I thought that would have been very unfair 
to the character and to all the fans who this character and these series have met so much to. I'm still telling my own story, but I'm definitely utilizing elements of that. And then also I just sent Jerry off to live on a farm upstate. So that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we 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 were big champions of the hopeless run at the Javier at Javier Rodriguez. I mean, I, I think at the time it was probably the best book Marvel was publishing. I, I just love that book so much. So we're so excited to have Jess back with your run. You know, you mentioned the kind of blowing stuff up. You know, you're teamed up with Pepe Perez Uh, on art. uh, Pere Perez, yeah. Pere Perez, sorry. Pere Perez. Perez. And boy, I mean, one of the things that stands out straight away is just the physicality of your book. Like, Jess is just like... Like there's some real serious martial art stuff going on there. Can you speak uh, oh, to oh, working with him? Oh yeah. So the the cool thing is, so my partner is a stunt man. So when I'm writing action scenes, I will actually, hey hey baby, I need to, I need you to jump at me so I can figure out how to get away from here. <laughs> Pere is also a trained martial arts instructor. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, During the pandemic, uh, like during the first part of lockdown, he Perry was he was doing Zoom Muay Thai lessons for our editorial staff and Frankie. (laughs) So Jake and Lindsay and everyone were doing like Zoom, Zoom Muay Thai classes, you know, long distance that Perry was teaching people, which was very, very cool. So his knowledge is just so great. And it's working with him has just been a dream because I think we, we just get on the same mind frame really quick. And so he understands what I'm when I'm like, okay, so I need Jess just punching dinosaurs for two pages, but also this, this, and this needs to happen. And he's just like on it. And, (laughs) and I was like, (laughs) It's actually funny because there are pages coming up in the next couple of issues where you will like my original script would be like, I always try to actually be nice to my artist. (laughs) So (laughs) I very rarely write a page that has more than five panels on it. It's usually I try to keep below like three to four if they want to go bigger. Great. But I'm not going to like I, I. it's been a very long time since I've written a nine panel page unless it absolutely had to happen. And it hasn't in Spider-Woman, but you'll see 13 panel pages because Perry is a monster. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I can't even imagine 13 panels on a page. It's, he does just the most dynamic pages where everything is pure, pure action and it is glorious and it is gorgeous. And I, I, as much fun as issue one was, I cannot wait for you guys to see what's coming up because it is absolutely next level, just phenomenal, big movie action movie, over the top stuff. And he just makes all the ridiculous ideas that I have just look so incredibly good. <laughs> that's got to be a lot of fun it is and you know so at times we are actually working marvel style like old school where i will just let perry do his thing like i'll make sure that all of the most important elements are in the script so he knows what what we're working with he'll just go ham on it and then i'll I'll be like i'll come back and like do what you do what you need to do. I'll come back. I'll 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 change dialogue to fit it. You know, I I can, you know, so all of a sudden I'll be like, I thought this was just three panels, and now I'm writing <laughs> like I need to write sound effects for the biggest fight scene I've ever seen in my life. Okay. That's cool. It looks great. <laughs> But I, I actually have a question about the coronavirus and stuff. Like <laughs> you've waited four months between these issues. Have they, has that allowed you guys to get ahead on things? Like how is Marvel handling we, that? We never stopped working. So a few books were put in kind of a holding pattern until we could restart distribution and production. It was obviously very important to Marvel that we not even be putting books out 
digitally because like if we couldn't support the local comic book stores, if we couldn't have it in print at the same time, we weren't going to be putting it out digitally because we felt it was important to be supporting the local comic book stores to be supporting print. Of course. So, you know, so Marvel fully stopped product, you know, distribution for that three or four months. And, but spider woman was one of the books that we never quit. We were working the entire time. So right now, even though it's only issue two, that's about to come out this week, I am currently working on issue seven. Wow. Um, wow. So we, and, and that, that was with Perry getting, Perry did get like a two week break because I have no idea how his hands have not <laughs> burst into flames. Uh, so so yeah, Spider-Woman has never quit production. We have been in production the entire time and we've just been cranking this stuff out. So yeah, we've got some amazing stuff coming up through the next couple months. And then I'm currently, like I said, I'm currently working on, I just finished up six and I think Perry's starting on the art for that. And then I'm, I'm wrapping up the script for seven right now. We got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Like, Yeah, uh, I mean... Who I'm knows probably, when things will be normal, but I mean, it's good that we have that. To, to, yeah, to, it's, yeah, just just think, I, I've got at least like six more issues ahead of y'all to get really pissed off at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. You know, one of the bigger aspects you mentioned already is this kind of new costume by Dave Johnson. You know, can you tell us about the kind of like, you know, I guess like impetus behind that? I'm, I'm sure it seems like there's some like nefarious thing going on behind the scenes, but like, I'm curious how, you know, this design kind of came about. Were they itching to kind of change the design yet again uh, for a new volume? I, I mean, I went, I think they were already thinking about a new costume when they brought me in. And when I saw it, I was just like, oh yeah, that's badass. Like, oh, that's cool. But they already knew that we wanted to take Jess in a big, over the top, slightly darker angle. Like not when I, I always kind of, I always cringe when I'm like, Oh, we're taking her darker because that just sounds like we're doing some edgelord crap when it's not. <laughs> it's uh no, we're just, we're legitimately taking the story in a deeper direction. It's really kind of exploring some elements of the past that Jess has never really explored. It's exploring, you know, a headspace that she's never really had a chance to dig into and also just blowing up helicopters. And the new suit is very helicopter explosion friendly. And I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think the suit just works really, really well for where she's at personally. And as you'll see, like we kind of hinted at the end of issue one that there's something else a little a little more mysterious going on with the suit. Whether that was already planned or if that was Carla explaining how she got the suit after the fact, hey, who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> Just promise me it's not another symbiote. Oh no, it's it's again, no, the there's there's no symbiotes in issue one through five, and there's no symbiote in the suit. No, no symbiotes, no okay, scroll. That's wonderful here. <laughs> no symbiotes. The, there's nothing to do with symbiotes. For the suit. There we go. Great. I like to hear that. <laughs> but also, I'm very famous for lying. So who's to say? <laughs> right right now, all the uh, the hardcore uh, diehard Spider-Woman fans that are listening to this right now are going, Carla? <laughs> <laughs> Don't be lying. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. That, that keeps the series alive. <laughs> now, now, Carla, now, we, we had mentioned earlier in our show that obviously... The, the great Marie Severin, you know, was was critical in in the creation of, of Spider-Woman and Jessica. But, you know, over the years, very few women creators have have had a, had their had their hand at, at Carla, at Carla, at Jessica. So I'm curious how you how you know, how do you embrace that and your role? You know, what, what's what do you see, you know, see yourself as in, in, in being one of the one of the few female creators to work on this character? Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, basically, yeah, it's like, and, you know, Severin, Nocenti and me, I think it does feel a bit it feels as much as I respect 
all the creators that have worked on Jess because they've obviously told some amazing stories. It does feel a little like I, I think I was kind of surprised when I did realize like, wow, there have not been hardly any female creators on this book, especially for longer term. And I mean, it seems weird, honestly. It's yeah. it seems overdue. I I am very grateful that I get to take on the character. I think men are perfectly capable of writing women. Bless their hearts. <laughs> 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 I think it is nice to be able to have a female perspective on the character and you know it's it's i like i can only speak for my perspective of how i write the character there like there are plenty of other female writers who would write her completely who who do write her differently and do fantastic jobs with her like what teeny's been doing with her in strike force you know what what kelly thompson's been doing with her in captain marvel like like we all are writing the heck out of some spider woman you know it's it's <laughs> nice that i get to really dig in. And I really appreciate that I was given that opportunity and it's meant a lot to me. And I mean, all I can do is, you know, do my best. I do think it's funny that the most recent, the most recent run was obviously Dennis writing her as a mom and me writing her as just someone who's blowing up helicopters. That's kind of funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, every guest that we have on the show, we typically talk about Spider-Man as we're want to do on a Spider-Man podcast. Yeah, you'll you um, have so, that. <laughs> yeah, it may, it makes sense. So we typically ask this question of all of our, our Spider-Man oriented guests. But I, I'm curious for you, like you have this personal connection beyond birth, your birth date uh, with Jessica. But what does it mean to you personally to be writing Spider-Woman? I mean, this is my first full series. Like this is my first series period. And it's for a character that I really, really relate to so hard. And I mean, I I haven't really been subtle about the fact that I'm basically writing her as myself. It's like, (laughs) what would I do if I could blow up a helicopter and punch a dinosaur? It's like, and then I was just angry all the time and kind of was bad with dealing with my feelings. Like, I think I got this one. (laughs) But no, it's, it has been such an honor and so so incredibly humbling the like i i knew how much the character meant to me and i you know i, I said this in that first letter from the web in issue 1 i knew how much the character meant to me i did not realize how much she jessica means to so many of the fans and So when the book was announced and there was just this huge outpouring of rabid, scary, delightful fan love for for Jessica Drew and just this overwhelming support. And I I wasn't expecting that. And I guess I should have. It was dumb, but it was it was overwhelming and humbling and just just unbelievably touching. And so I really I could not think of a better experience to have in writing comics right now, other than to be writing Spider-Woman. This has been a delight that like Perry, Jake, Lindsay, Frankie, like every, everyone on the book is just doing masterwork. And I am so, so thrilled. And again, like I have to keep saying humble because I can't, possibly imagine a a a more wonderful experience than what I've gotten to do writing this book. And it's just been an absolute dream. Well, all eyes are on you, Carla, and we're really excited to see uh, where it goes. You know, issue two is coming out. I think the issue two will be coming out today if you're watching this the day that this dropped. So go out to your comic book store and pick up a copy. While, we- uh, while wearing your mask. Yeah, wear your mask. Of course. Curbside or whatever. However <laughs> 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 you need to do it. <laughs> well, Carla, where can, where can we find you online and where can we pick up some of your other comics? Because I know you're not just writing Spider-Woman. Uh, so currently, you can always, always find me on Twitter at... The Carla Pacheco. 
And that's usually just the best place to find me just running my mouth about ridiculous things. And then I do also today, there is a brand new Betty Page comic that is out and with uh, Vincenzo Frederici on art. And it is, and along with Becca, Rebecca Nolte and Becca Carey for coloring and lettering. And that's, that's a very fun little, uh, mystery comic. So we've got a little five issue Betty Page series that starts today as well. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. If you, if you like Spider-Woman, I think you might also like this one. It's a, it's kind of a knives out meets LA confidential, but with Betty Page. So it's, it's cute. Well, thank you so much for coming on Carla. Uh, We had a great time and we're really excited about the future of Spider-Woman and your writing. Thank you. I am excited as well. And thank you guys so much uh, for having me on. If you find the show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend, and if you're able, become a member on Patreon. We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. This week, we are discussing the mail that Dan has been receiving that has us a little on edge. It's a story you'll want to be joining us for, so hop on the Patreon and join in for the fun. Since new comic issues aren't coming out frequently now, for the next couple weeks at least, why not take that $3.99 and put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. And when comic stores open back up again in full, you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the week that it comes out. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print of Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut, drawn by official Marvel artist Max Fiamora in colors and inks. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created by Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And Mark, we just got that Max Fiamara art in, at least digitally. He's still sending it from Argentina, where they're kind of dealing with the COVID-19 stuff. And it looks really cool. I, I, I'm so excited to get this out to everybody. Yeah, this one's dynamite. Really nice print. It is totally dynamite, Dan. <laughs> I, I knew you would dig it, Mark, because I know you love that comic. You know, he knocked it out of the park. I, I can't wait to get it to everybody. So, yeah, but that being said, we know it's a hard time for everybody. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And thank you again to all the members who already make this show possible. But alas, it is that time, Dan, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Also, a very special thank you to Carla Pacheco for joining us to talk about Spider-Woman. Go and check out her new series and help support your local comic book shop. Yeah, and uh, this episode, as always, was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack and spider Madge. Plus, our introduction, animation, and musical stinger comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. This was a lot of fun, Dan, but what do we got coming up on our next episode? Yeah, I'm really excited about this, Mark, because we're going to be talking about the What If series and a bunch of issues from that all the ones that feature Spider-Man. I think we're even going to be talking about Ron Friends' debut issue on a Spider-Man title. If I mean, I guess if you want to call What If a Spider-Man title, at least it was for him. So I'm really excited to talk about that. We're going to talk about how this kind of set up the Spider-Verse and alternate realities in the Marvel Universe. And we're going to talk about how every issue ends with Peter Parker supporting cast getting narrowed by a couple people. <laughs> they just can't stop killing people in these things. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's another side product or side result of an alternative universe. It's that someone's got to go, right, Dan? Because it's a, it's it's a, it's an alternative universe, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't count unless you know we somehow want to bring all these characters together someday. Yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to like revisit all of those issues and talk about it with you, Mark. I, I think it's going to be 
a really good time. And we hope you guys join us, whether live or um, listening to it on the podcast. So speaking of which, don't forget, if you are tuning in live, uh, as soon as the show ends, the conversation continues with our audience on YouTube. And if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk Live this time, check us out on YouTube next time, Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But don't worry, Mark, or anybody listening at home, we're still making this as a podcast that will always be consistent, just like how we end the show. That's with our motto. So, Mark, until Spider-Woman's origin gets changed back to her being a spider that evolved into a human, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come... The Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.